that'll make you more money and it'll make you more money faster. Can you be successful? Yeah, but you'll trip over yourself doing it and you're going to make some mistakes that might be pretty costly. If you're a passive investor wanting to learn more about questions to ask sponsors in order to qualify the opportunities, in order to qualify the sponsor, in order to qualify the market that the property is in, then go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. My team and I created this site just for you so that there is a free resource available to you to learn about the questions to ask, the things to think through prior to investing in deals. So go to besteverpassiveinvestor.com. It's a free resource for you that was made just for you. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today, John Manus. How you doing, John? Doing great, Joe. How have you been? I'm doing well as well and glad to hear you're doing great. And a little bit about John. He's the CEO and co-owner of Pinnacle Storage Properties and Pinnacle Storage Managers. He's been involved in self-storage since 2005, has raised over $35 million in private equity to build a $100 million plus portfolio based in Houston, Texas. So with that being said, John, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. I started my career in retail. Spent 17 years working for the people like the Walmarts and Kmarts of the world. Got burnt out on that and applied to a job with self-storage as a district manager with this little tiny storage company called Uncle Bob Self-Storage, fourth largest self-storage company in the United States and who are now Life Storage. Ended up doing so well, they promoted me regional vice president and Started with them in 05, got promoted in 08, and from there went on to be the COO of a privately held self-storage company here in Houston that had 55 self-storage properties. Did that for about five years, and four years ago went out on my own, created Pinnacle Storage Properties. We currently have 20 properties under ownership, two that we're raising money on right now, and we're getting ready to partner on eight others, the ground up development on top of that, in Round Rock, Texas, and a conversion deal in Temple, Texas. So by April, we'll be 32 properties. Wow. The conversion deal. What are you doing with that? So we're buying a 25,000 square foot single span building that used to be a youth sport building. And we're putting a mezzanine in it and an elevator for two stories. So it'll be 50,000 square foot footprint right off the bat. Comes with four acres of land. It's right on I-35 at the exit in Temple, Texas, just north of Austin. Mm -hmm. And we were brought that deal off market. It's under contract. The building and the land for $18 a square foot. Mm -hmm. So we can't build it for less than $35 a square foot. So it's one of those ones that you find every now and again and was brought to us by another storage operator that was able to do the conversion but not raise the money, the equity, or be able to sign on the debt because it's such a large project. So we partnered with him and here we go. We're already in the process of permitting and everything like that right now. The youth sport building, 
from the ones I can think of, I wouldn't think the conversion would be too much to do because a lot of times they're just boxes with some dividers and maybe some nets and stuff. Was it tough to do? I know the other operator was involved on that more so than you, but do you know the details? So we haven't started construction yet. We'll probably start construction in the next 30 days. But to your point, it is a single span building, which means there's no pylon posts in the middle. It's just one big, huge open room. The challenge to that is we got to put a second floor in the middle of it. So, <laughs> so you will end up with those posts and everything on the first floor. But we've got some great construction people that we've dealt with for the last 10 years that have done all that kind of stuff. So from that standpoint, it's a matter of getting the right engineer, the right architect, and then getting the right construction guys, put all them in place and let them do their magic. Rely on the people that know what the hell they're doing, right? Yep. So the painful part of that is going through rezoning and permitting and things like that, because you got to get it switched to be storage zoning versus an operating business like a Sworth Athletic Center would be. In this case, when the operator came to you all and said, hey, I have this opportunity, here's what I need. What are the first five or so questions that you asked the operator to just quickly assess if you should have more conversation about it? That's a great question because we do some creative things on partnerships and we get approached a lot on these type of projects. And mainly the reason people approach us is because they want somebody to help them raise equity. Okay. So to me, I always say, if you're just looking for me to raise equity, I can go raise equity on my own deals, right? So if you're looking to operate it afterwards, or you're looking to just put non-recourse debt on it with no risk on debt, I always say there's four components to a deal, right? You find the deal, you raise the equity on the deal, you sign on the debt, and then you operate the deal after it's done. If you're looking for me to just raise equity on a deal, it just doesn't have much interest to me because I can go do that for my own deals Uh and I get 100% of the deal. Right. So the questions I ask most importantly is what are their needs? What are you looking for? What do you need help with? Mm -hmm. And I know you've been doing these for a long time and you've probably had storage people on your podcast, but the reality is, is not everybody knows how to, run and operate storage like they would in single family or multifamily environments. Mm -hmm. So they come to us for those needs. If if I ask them a question, what they need and they need help operating it and they need help raising the money, then I perk up a little bit more. So I try to find out what their needs are because we're a full service shop, right? One of my business partners, Eric handles all of our construction related stuff and he's navigated the cities probably 15 times already. So he's got those reps that have been painful to other people for the first go around. He knows how to navigate those. So if they need help with construction, that gives us an idea. If they need help with raising money, that gives us an idea. Or if they need help signing on debt, or if they need help managing it when it's all said and done, those kind of things. That's when I really perk up. That's helpful to know. So that's from a partnership standpoint. What about from the deal standpoint? What are some main questions that you'll initially ask or information you'll initially ask just to get a sense of the opportunity or if there is not an opportunity? I ask the basics. What do they have it under contract for? How many square foot is it? 
you asked earlier, what is our specialty? Our specialty is buying undermanaged, underenhanced, underexpanded self-storage properties. So we buy the mom and pop. That's what we're known for. We're not known for ground up development. We're not known for conversions, things like that. We're known for fixing the mom and pop up and running it better and adding value that way. So my questions generally revolve around how many square foot is it? Is there room for expansion? What type of sales volume are they doing on a monthly basis? What type of ancillary income do they do? All the basics to see, because we've underwritten 350 self-storage properties in the last 14 months. So we can look at a deal and do the math in our head to find out whether that's a good deal or not. So by asking those basic questions, we're not class A cash flow buyers that have a self-storage property at the corner of I-10 and 45 in Houston. That's not, right. our, that's, that's not our bread and butter. So when I ask the basic questions, where is it at? How big is it? What's it doing per month? Is there room for expansion? Who owns it? They're all the basic questions that I ask right out of the box. On the conversion deal, I wanted to know how many square foot it is, how much land comes with it, what's the potential for doing expansions, and then if we do expansions, do we have to have detention? You know, do we have to put a detention pond in, which eats up an acre, an acre and a half of your land? All the things that allow you to know whether the purchase price equals the amount of revenue you can create. Mm, okay. For the detention pond, when would you not need one versus need one, generally? We focus on secondary, suburban, and some tertiary markets. So because of that, I live in Katy, Texas, which is a suburb of Houston. Almost everything around here is going to be required to have a detention pond to it because of all the flooding from Hurricane Harvey and things like that. So they want you to hold back as much water onto your property as you can for a temporary amount of time so it doesn't flood your neighbor's property. So when you're dealing with suburban markets, chances are you're going to have to have some type of detention. When you get into the secondary markets, it becomes a little looser and it's not 100% of the time that you need detention. But in those areas, they may want you to have a fire hydrant on your property instead Mm -hmm. of detention. So If you have a fire, they could put it out, things like that. But then when you get into the tertiary type of markets, there's so much land. Wild West. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot less regulation. But everything's relative, right? So inner city environments, urban core, you're getting $1.50, $2 a square foot on rental rates, but you have a lot heavier cost and detention and things like that. Then when you get to suburban areas, you're getting $1.10, $1.20 a square foot, you got a little bit less. You go to secondary markets, you're getting a dollar and you have less. And then you get out to tertiary markets, you're getting 75 cents, but it's kind of a free for all. But to go build out there is harder to make your numbers work because you still got the same building costs as what you do downtown urban market. Your buildings still cost you the same amount of money. So it's all relative to how you buy, how you build, how you expand but it all plays around what the zoning 
and the city is allow you to do or not allow you to do. When you're initially qualifying a deal and you said you can do the math in your head, if it's a good deal or not, and just run some rough numbers by asking those questions about what's an under contract for square footage, room for expansion, monthly sales volume, other income. Would you just run through an example? You can make it up or a real one and would love to hear the thoughts that are going on when you're thinking about, hey, okay, here, here are the numbers. It does work or doesn't work based on this. Okay, I'm warning you, Joe. You're getting inside of a twisted little head. I'm just <laughs> well, as, as long as we can exit out of it. We'll exit out of it quickly thereafter. <laughs> so to me, it's pretty easy. So in storage, I'm going to use $20,000 a month, which is 240000 a year. Okay. But how I equate it in my head, pretty easy, and it's not a perfect math, is if you're doing $20,000 a month and you're looking at a property that's doing $20,000, dollars a month, you're going to pay around $2 million for that property. Why? So I'll just use basic math. You have $240,000 a year. Your expense ratio on a small property like that is typically around 50%. Take 240 divided by two is 120,000. If you divide that by a six cap, it's $2 million. Okay. So basic math on a 20,000 a month, you know, there's not 10 months in a year, so it doesn't equate perfectly to $2 million, but it does equate to a six cap. And in secondary suburban type of markets like a Katy, Texas, you're sitting around a six cap. Mm-hmm. Now, if I'm looking in a tertiary market that has a population of 10,000 people, it might be a $1.8 million buy on that $20,000 a month because it's a seven cap. So what I do is I start with, if it's doing 20,000, the purchase price should be around 2 million. Okay. If it's doing $10,000, your purchase price should be around $750,000. So when you go down in monthly sales volume or revenue, the smaller the number gets, below 20. Mm-hmm. Above 20, when you get the 30,000, your purchase price is going to be about a $3.3 million. And the reason is because your expense ratios in storage stay the same, whether you have $50,000 a month or whether you have $20,000 a month, they're relatively the same. Hmm. So we buy off a cash flow. So because of that, when you're doing $30,000 a month, it's not a 50% expense ratio it's 42% expense ratio. So because of that, you're paying more for the property because it has more cash flow that goes along with it. Mm-hmm. And your returns stay about the same. So you come to me and you go, hey, I got this property. It's in Tyler, Texas. And I go, well, how big is it? You go, it's 40,000 square foot. I go, what are they doing? And you go, they're doing $33,000 a month. And I go, okay, ancillary income? You go, no, they're not doing any ancillary income. U-Haul? No. Okay. They don't sell boxes, insurance, nothing? Nope. I go, all right. So let me guess. You have that property under contract for $3.5 million? And they go, no, I have it under contract for 4.2. I go, well, you're paying too much. (laughs) Just like that. (laughs) Yep. So to me, it's an equal balance inside my head. You said you want to get in my head. That's good. Yeah, and did I did I hear, and I reserve the right to exit out whenever I want. 
<laughs> but did I hear you right that the expense ratio in storage stays the same regardless of how many units you have? That's correct. So if I buy a 100 unit versus a 1500 unit, the expense ratio is going to stay about the same? Yes and no. So if you brought me a 100 unit property that did not have any land for expansion that was doing $10,000 a month, I would not buy that property. And the reason I would not buy that property is I do not want to buy a job. So you can get an expense ratio in that property of 25 or 30 percent but you're the one answering the phone you're the one meeting the customer out there renting the space and showing the space and so on and you have no payroll and then you have no website you have no marketing you have right right? so all of that expense ratio gets driven down but if i'm going to buy that hundred space property and it comes with three acres of land and I can add another 40,000 square foot to it, I'm going to spend $50,000 a year in payroll, whether it's 400 spaces or I've got a property in Nacogdoches that's 1,000 spaces. And we run that property with two and a half people versus one and a half people. So we spend about eighty-five dollars to $90,000 a year in payroll in that store versus a 400 space property that has one and a half people to it, and they have $50,000 worth of payroll. So everything is relative, and there is a point that you have to add labor to it Mm -hmm. or take away labor from it. But if you're looking at running and buying a self-storage property that is an investment asset like most of your listeners are looking for, then the expense is relatively going to be the same from a 250 space property all the way up to an 800 space property, which is the meat and potatoes of the self-storage industry. Based on your experience in self-storage, for someone who is looking to get started in self-storage, what is your best advice ever for them? My best advice, and I give this all the time because we get a lot of people that want to get into the industry my best advice to them is find somebody that already knows how to operate these things. So I don't think the operators of self-storage get enough credit against the value add of these assets. So let's say that somebody in your audience that's listening right now is a finance guy or a broker that can find these things or something. Go out and find somebody I always say when I meet people one-on-one, it doesn't have to be us, but go find somebody that knows how to operate these things because that'll make you more money and it'll make you more money faster. Can you be successful? Yeah, but you'll trip over yourself doing it and you're going to make some mistakes that might be pretty costly. What are some common mistakes that someone with that lack of experience would make? that an experienced operator wouldn't? Hiring the wrong website people. So a lot of these guys want to just go to GoDaddy, create their own website. It doesn't interact with your software. There's no prices online, things like that. And Google doesn't give you any credit for not having any content or anything. But believe it or not, 80% of our customers touch us online some way. Hmm. Whether it's they look us up on their phone and then drive to our store or they look at prices online on their PC or on their telephone or whatever, 
they touch us somehow online. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them try to be cheap because they're doing $10,000 a month and they don't want to spend $300 a month on having an effective website. Well, your effective website drives demand to your property. The more demand you have, the higher your prices can be. And eventually it pays for the 300 bucks. What's a URL to one of your websites? Mystorageplus.com. It's a mini aggregator type of site that has every one of our sites on. Cool. We're going to do a lightning round where I'm asking some quick hitting questions. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Hit me. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. If you're a passive investor and want to learn more about Ashcroft Capital, the company I co-founded with my business partner, Frank, and in particular, want to learn more about our strategy and how we think about the opportunities that we purchase, go to ashcroftcapital.com and click the strategy button above and you'll be able to read through our thought process we use when we're purchasing multifamily properties. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. All right, John, what deal have you lost the most amount of money on? So the good news is I've not lost any money on any deal. So I can't answer that. Have some of them gone sideways? Sure. But we've not lost money on it. And that's the beauty of storage is it tends to be recession resistant. And we had a project that we bought 20,000 square foot. We expanded 63,000 square foot. And the construction company was eight months behind delivery on the product. So we were paying a mortgage for eight months without having cash flow. We ended up in a lawsuit with them. That's the bad news. The good news is we were able to restructure that deal, get an extension of our interest only payment on our loan. We borrowed uh, extra $150,000 from our investors in a form of a loan to be able to support the interest only payment for an extended period of time. And now we're back on track. So time healed that wound. Mm-hmm. And so did increase in occupancy. But we didn't lose money on it. We just didn't make as much money as we thought. What was the result of the lawsuit? We settled. And knowing we, what you know now about that experience, when presented a similar situation in the future, how would you approach it a little bit differently? Honestly, I don't know that I would have approached it differently. I'd been in a relationship with the contractor for eight years. So the obstacle became that the construction company grew too fast and took on too many projects at one time. Mm -hmm. And ours was one of them. So I personally could have never predicted that, particularly knowing the individuals involved. So doing it differently... I'd have to say pick a different contractor, but how do you know that until particularly when they've done a tremendous amount of work for you in the past, right? Yeah, that's a tough one to, yep. to identify. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I have a servant's mentality. Right now I'm in the process of creating a mastermind group of professional athletes 
And the reason that we're doing that is because like myself, most of these guys grew up poor and all of a sudden they have money and they just don't know how to handle it or what to do with it. I like to educate people on how money works from the simplest form of how to compound your money to how to create a budget and all those different things that people like Dave Ramsey teaches. I love to give back in the way of the knowledge that people have given me and us as a company. We teach our store manager team how to go buy a self-storage property if they want to. So we try to take care of the people that take care of us at the same time as the people that just don't know. So you hear a lot of people say, if I knew 20 years ago what I knew now, okay, well, go teach somebody that. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and that's why I volunteer a lot for these podcasts. I have rooms full of people that I teach, not only storage, but basic financial principles around credit scores and how credit works and all that kind of stuff. I love giving back through teaching and the knowledge that we've been blessed to be exposed to. How can the best of listeners learn more about what you're doing? They can call me 210-818-1496. They can go to pinnaclestorageproperties.com or they can email me at john at johnmanus.com and that's M-A-N-E-S. They can go to my YouTube channel and watch a bunch of my YouTube videos. It talks about a lot of this stuff why storage is a good investment and all the stories about how me and my partners grew up with nothing and have created something. All that's on YouTube. Well, John, thank you for being on the show talking about self-storage and in particular talking about a deal that you're working on and also how you qualify that initially and then taking a giant step back, how you qualify opportunities and the questions that you ask and then I'm officially jumping out of your head so <laughs> that you can, you can be one with yourself and I, I can go about my way too. But I really did appreciate our conversation and grateful that we talked. So thanks for being on the show. Hope you have the best ever day. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it, buddy.